0: it's critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio.
1: Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, December 9th, 2012. This show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central time. We have a great show lined up for you here today. We're going to be continuing to talk about human psychopathy and the possible defenses against it. And we are going to continue to take your calls on the topic of was the acts of the founders of this country during the American Revolution, the actions that they decided to take against their oppressors for the preservation, the security of the freedom of those who would come after them. Were those acts that they took acts of love or acts of hate and why you think so either way? So let me give the call-in number right here at the top of the show to join us toll-free on what on earth is happening. Call 866-841-1065. Once again, the call-in number 866-841-1065. I have a couple event announcements Of course, coming up here in Philadelphia, April 25th, 26th, and 27th of 2013, the Free Your Mind 2 Conference, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. Taking place at the Arch Street Meeting House at 320 Arch Street here in Philadelphia, the doors will open at 8 o'clock a.m. each day. The featured speakers Alan Steinfeld, Alfred Weber, Andrew Bishago, Ben Stewart, Bob Tuscan, Kathy O'Brien, Curtis Davis, Dr. Dream, Freder X, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, Jay Parker, Jim Fetzer, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, Lennon Honor, Loren Moray, Mono Davina, Mark Passio, Mark Phillips, Marty Leeds, Randall Carlson, Ross Ben and Sonia Barrett, 24 speakers over a three day event. Advanced ticket prices for the Thursday conference $30. For the Thursday, meet and greet plus a vegetarian meal and a concert $20 featuring the Divine Hand Ensemble, a theremin, uh, a classical ensemble centered around the theremin. For the Friday conference, $40. For the Saturday conference, $40. And for the entire uh, three days, plus the speaker meet and greet, only $120. For more information on this great event coming up in April of 2013 here in the city of Philadelphia, please visit www.freeyourmindconference.com. The next Truth, Freedom, Prosperity. Free documentary screening and discussion evening will be taking place on the last Thursday of December, December 27th, 2012, at 6.30 p.m. at Essene Market and Cafe at 719 South 4th Street. That's the corner of 4th and Monroe Streets in Philadelphia. We don't have a film picked out yet. We're going to be announcing that in the next uh, couple of days, so uh, watch the truthfreedomprosperity.org Website for that announcement. I have learned that I will be the next featured activist at the next TFP Live, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Live, hosted by Mike Salvi and Truth, Freedom, Prosperity, will be taking place Friday, December 21st, 2012. Yes, the end date, the prophesied end date of the Mayan calendar. Twelve twenty one twelve. I'll be the featured activist at this event at Underground Arts at twelve hundred Callowhill Street on Friday, December twenty first at nine o'clock p.m. For more information, check out www.truthfreedomprosperity.org or you can also visit tfplive.com. That's tfplive.com. I have an announcement about. A great event that people are not going to want to miss. Uh, we are going to be doing a money bomb campaign for the Free Your Mind 2 conference to raise money for uh, bringing in all of these phenomenal speakers, uh, bringing them into Philadelphia from all over the country. And uh, Freighter X has actually uh, set this up uh, for us. Freighter uh, X has been one of The organizers for this year's Free Your Mind conference. And uh, he has, he and American Freedom Radio will be hosting a 12 hour marathon, okay, where we're going to uh, have different hosts during the 12 hours that we're going to uh, um, have this money bomb campaign for Free Your Mind 2. It's going to be taking place on American Freedom Radio, where Freighter X broadcasts out of. And this is going to be taking place on January 13th, okay? So Sunday, January 13th, 2013, it's going to be a 12-hour marathon from noon to midnight on January 13th on American Freedom Radio. We're going to have um, different hosts uh, hosting the event for the 12 hours, and we're going to be interviewing some of the uh, featured speakers at the Free Your Mind conference and uh, attempting to raise as much donation money as is possible uh, so that we can uh, help uh, to support the effort to bring in uh, speakers from from out of town. So you won't want to miss that. Sunday, January 13th from noon to midnight on American Freedom Radio. The ad-free chip... Oh, before I uh, talk about that... Uh, I want to alert everyone that I will be interviewed tomorrow, Monday, uh, December 10th, on the H2O show. This is uh, the new incarnation of, of the show that used to be called Two Guys, One Girl out of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, um, hosted by Franco Eward. So uh, the new show is called the H2O show. It's broadcast out of the H2O Radio Network. Um, The website for that is RadioH2O.ca and I will be interviewed tomorrow on the H2O show from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, check that out on uh, that uh, great network and um, I will also be posting that to the um, news section of my website. If you check out the news section, of my website. There is also a couple of new uh, things posted. I was interviewed um, this past week by Vinnie Eastwood and Frater X on their new video podcast called Dark Occulted Mysticism. Uh, this happened on Thursday, December 6th of last week. So you can check that out. That is in my news section of whatonearthishappening.com. And that was a great interview where we covered uh, topics of, of course, occultism, but we also went deep into human psychopathy, uh, the um, non-aggression principle, force versus violence, and uh, you know, natural law. So it was a great uh, interview by uh, two great gentlemen. ...who uh, I'm very happy to uh, be on their show. I believe this was the, the first um, episode of Dark Occulted Mysticism. I could be incorrect. It might have been the second one. But it's a new show by Vinnie Eastwood of The Vinnie Eastwood Show... ...and Freighter X of The Middle Chamber. Also in the news section and on the videos section of whatonearthishappening.com... ...finally uh, I got um, uh, posted... Uh, The video was completed by uh, Tim Smith, who recorded and edited the video. Tim is also one of the organizers of the Free Your Mind 2 conference as well. Uh, The Matrix Trilogy decoded presentation that I gave as part of fundraiser number one for the Free Your Mind 2 event. We're going to probably be putting on some other fundraisers in the new year at Underground Arts. I'm waiting to hear back from them to get confirmed dates. But we'll probably ha- be having at least a couple of fundraisers, a couple more fundraisers before uh, the Freer Mind 2 event. So be sure to check out the video. I am very happy with the way the video turned out. Tim did a great job. He edited slides from the presentation right into the video. And um, I think I did a really good job decoding the Matrix movies, uh, allegorically You know, explaining how... These are allegories, spiritual allegories, and what the symbolism in the means uh, for us in the modern world in which we are living. So be sure to check that out. Uh, the presentation called The Matrix Trilogy Decoded in the What on Earth is Happening news section and videos section. It is also posted to my YouTube channel at youtube.com whatonearth93, which is my official YouTube channel. Last announcement is that I uh, the um, ad-free chip-in to keep the show ad-free here on Oracle Broadcasting currently stands at $500. We are halfway there, and uh, we are right about at the halfway uh, time frame, so we're right on course. Uh, we need to raise 1000 by January 31st in order to keep the show ad-free for the February, March, April time period. So to those who have donated to that chip-in effort, I thank you very much. Uh, The donations are very much appreciated, and people who are making donations are doing a great job to keep the show commercial-free with the ad-free chip-in campaign. Okay, let's uh, jump into our topic for discussion today, which is a continuation from last week, and it is on human psychopathy and defense against the psychopath. Now, I'm going to post a couple of videos with um, this week's podcast, and I do have some images. Last week, I had no images because I really wanted to focus and uh, hammer into people the characteristics of the psychopath, the the personality traits and characteristics of the psychopathic personality. So I didn't even want uh, any images uh, to get in the way last week so that people can really focus on what this... Horrid condition that plagues humanity is actually all about. This week I made a few images and you can find those as always on the happening.com radio show page. Click the radio show tab and uh, you will see listed underneath the player for the show images for today's show. Now that is when the show is live of course when the show is uh, not live. I take that off of the radio show page, and it goes into the podcast with the show, Okay, with each podcast. So you can find the images also in the podcast uh, section of the website uh, under related images for each podcast that is posted there. Today, we have uh, five images. The first image was, of course, the Free Your Mind 2 event poster, and the next image begins... Uh, We'll do a review from uh, last week, which is the characteristics of psychopaths. And I put some lovely imagery to go along with these couple of slides. Image number two shows uh, definite psychopaths uh, that are basically uh, involved in the daily administration of our world. And I'm sure people are just uh, thrilled to see... Uh, such wonderful pictures here, with uh, such um, in-depth uh, listings of the characteristics of these sick, twisted individuals. So let's, to do a brief review, let's go over some of the characteristics of the psychopath that we talked about last week. And with the podcast, I'm going to post a couple of great uh, documentaries this week. I think very important documentaries to to see about the psychopath, there's two of them in particular, is Defense Against the Psychopath, which is a short documentary. I believe it is under – is right around a half an hour or something like that. And This video really does a good job explaining what psychopathy is and what are the best defense strategies once we recognize that people – certain people – that we are interacting with, maybe or in fact, are psychopaths. We need to wake up to this on a mass scale because psychopaths are actually running all of the institutions that people place their faith in, as a society. And you know that's not a good idea anyway to place your faith in uh, institutional, institutionalized bodies because they're all essentially corrupt and. The main thing to keep in mind is that they are ultimately run by psychopaths at the highest levels. Psychopaths have infiltrated the institutions of the world so that they can work their way into positions of influence and power and thereby hold power and influence over people who basically externalize their power through their belief in these institutional bodies and the belief that they should be directing humanity and taking care of humanity and so forth and so on. We need to start to withdraw our support from these institutions and specifically these so-called leaders. The whole idea here is to get away from the collectivist mindset and understand we don't need leaders. We need to be our own leaders. So as a brief review before we start going Uh, into other material and into the phone lines. Let's um, take a look at the characteristics of psychopathy. These include aggressiveness. Now I'm referring to what is listed on slide number two right now. Aggressiveness, callousness, the complete absence of conscience, the complete absence of empathy toward other human beings. Cunning thinking. Now this isn't to say... Actual intelligence, true holistic intelligence, but cunning intellect would probably be even uh, perhaps better. Left brain intellect only, the desire to control. Okay, Adeptness at the manipulation of others, very good at manipulating people. The willingness to engage in strongly immoral criminal conduct to get their way. The willingness to take what they want and do as they please regardless of who is hurt or wronged. No care for whether someone else suffers. And I know it's very difficult for most people to believe that this is a condition that exists within the human psyche of people who have absolutely no empathy and do not care how much anyone suffers as a result of their actions, but it is the case. And this is, again, split between two different categories of psychopaths. The primary psychopath who it is a genetic disorder in the human genome and they are born that way. It doesn't make a difference what environment they are put in. They simply are that way. It is a damaged computer from birth. Again, something many people do not want to face and want to think does not exist. And that doesn't make a difference whether they don't want to believe it or not. This condition is here with us. What created it, we'll get into on other shows and and possibilities for that, but they don't want to admit that this condition exists due to the implications that it actually means for us here on Earth. The implications are quite disturbing. They're not comfortable whatsoever. They're very disturbing implications because, again, we have to wrestle with that question of what put this condition here with us. Why does it exist? So, let's continue to list the characteristics. The willingness to take what they want and do as they please regardless of who is hurt or wronged. The, a deceptive ability to, to appear outwardly benevolent. Oh yeah, they'll make you think that they have your own interest in mind. But they absolutely do not. They have only their own selfish motives in mind. So, they can appear They can behave in superficially charming ways to hide purely selfish motives. Make you think they have your interest in mind when in fact they're not interested in you at all. They have your interest not at all in mind. Only their own. They have a willingness to use intimidation and if necessary violence to control others in order to satisfy their own needs. So it's their own needs, uh, their own Gratification above all else, no matter who has to be harmed in the process. The willingness, we're on slide number three now, moving forward to slide number three. They have the willingness to intentionally violate the basic inherent human rights of other people. A complete absence of any sense of guilt or remorse. So not only don't they feel empathy for what they do, they don't feel guilty after the fact. There is no guilt or remorse shown. For the harm that their actions cause to other people. None whatsoever. They rationalize their own immoral behavior. You know, They try to basically, it's justification. They try to create rights that don't exist and say, oh well that was necessary. I had to do that. When in fact, no they didn't. They wanted to do that. They revel in what they're doing and then they try to tell other people that it was necessary or needed or it was for the the common good it was for it was for the long term good when in fact all it was is to satisfy their own twisted sick depraved desires that they want to satisfy at the expense of anyone else they have denial about their own wrongdoing they'll deny it outright they'll just lie and say no i you know i'm not responsible for that that's not my responsibility i didn't cause that when in fact they were directly to blame or directly at fault or they were the direct cause of the suffering that was created. an utter uh, Feelings of utter contemptuousness toward the feelings and desires of their fellow human beings. So what your cares or wants or needs or de- desires are absolutely meaningless to them. It does, doesn't make a difference what anyone else may need or what, what may be important to anyone else that is completely irrelevant to them. And they have utter contemptuousness. You know, they, they hate people for the fact that, you know, uh, they have needs, wants, desires. But at the same time, what these psychopaths are doing is doing nothing but trying to fuel their own depraved desires, to, to, to satiate their own depraved desires. So, utter contemptuousness displayed toward the feeling, feelings and desires of their fellow beings – Willingness to lie pathologically—they'll say anything without any concern for truth in order to advance their own hidden agendas. They have the ability. This is one of the biggest characteristics that people really need to understand and get a handle on. Psychopaths have the ability, especially primary psychopaths. Okay, secondary psychopaths can learn this over time, but primary psychopaths have learned this since they were very young. Okay, so this is more of a characteristic that is mostly attributed to primary psychopaths. They have an ability, a well-developed ability to fake a normal range of human emotions and empathy. See, they watch other people's emotional responses and then they mimic it even though they're not really feeling those emotions. They mimic it so that they fool other people into believing that they're just like them and you know then the question comes up well how do you identify these people you know that's a that's a very good question and some people emailed me about that, that these could be anybody these these are basically anybody in society i mean they're well hidden they're well entrenched and they're entrenched in positions of power it's very difficult to identify who these people are you, you have to know them by their behavior Number one, first and foremost, you know the, the saying, the axiom, that you will know them by their deeds, you will know them by their actions. That's one of the main thing, uh, things to keep in mind. You'll know who these people are by how they behave, first and foremost. We could get into speculation about other possible screening for the psychopath. But again, that would be much more difficult to implement. We have to become streetwise about their behavior in order tru- truly to identify them so that we can be on the defense against them. And Again, none of this is to inspire fear or hatred in people. This is about being informed about a condition that does exist. Is Basically, these people are predatory in nature. They, they are preying on other people. They are referred to by many people as interspecies predators. They're, they're within our species, and again, I don't really fully agree with that definition because I don't even consider them the same species. I consider this a whole nother animal that looks like a human being, walks and talks like a human being, but ultimately is not really a true human being. There's something else altogether because what truly makes a human human, okay? what makes the characteristics of a human being truly human is the ability to feel. And if we lack that, then we're not truly human. We've become something that is degenerated from a human being that is less than a true human being. And for anybody that wants to say that's divisive or separatist or, you know, is uh, um, very uh, dualistic, go right ahead. I, I really, I'm not interested in some new age nonsensical interpretation of what is actual in the world. Okay, instead of calling it what it is, looking at it honestly, people want to euphemize things. Okay, so they don't have to actually acknowledge the horror of the current human situation. You know, it's all about euphemisms, making things appear less bad than what they actually are. And, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm doing, I can't articulate how bad it actually is. Trust me, everything I have done on this show is an understatement regarding how bad our current situation is in the human psyche. It's so infinitely worse than what I could even articulate in words. People have no idea. And, you you know, uh, people will call me a pessimist as a result of saying that out in the open. But believe me, it's worse than whatever I'm saying. Okay, I'm actually underplaying where we're at as a species You know, for for some reason, I want people to still accept the notion that we could turn this around if we worked hard enough to influence people in consciousness to come up. And maybe, maybe it's possible. But, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I don't really even know if I believe that myself. And I'm just being honest with people. I'm just being honest. You know, if that makes me a pessimist. So be it. I consider myself a realist regarding where the human dynamic in consciousness is really at based on what I see on a day-to-day basis in the world. And I try to be as honest as possible about that instead of sugarcoating the situation and telling people what they want to hear. Because so many people will sell people on that, telling them what they want to hear. You know, there's so many people who are so good at that. The New Age movement's a big part of that. You know, telling people what they want to hear, making them think it's better than how it actually is, to sell hope. Hope is very sellable. Believe me, it's sellable. All you have to do is look at presidential campaigns and, and elections And people think that this, you know, uh, uh, a new guy getting in there is going to mean new hope. And they'll constantly sell people on that because they're just telling people what they want to hear. I'm trying to be honest with people. I'm not in this as a popularity contest. All right, I'm not interested in who likes me or who doesn't like me. That's not why I do what I do. I'm trying to be honest with people about where we're really at. So, um, we need to understand that it's worse than what I'm saying. And while I don't think that the numbers of primary psychopaths are all that impressive. I think they're very low. I think they're lower than what a lot of clinical psychologists place the number at. I think it's far less than 1%. You know, the people who say, oh, it's the 1%, I think it's maybe, maybe the 0.5%. And I think that might be a high number about how many true primary psychopaths there are in humanity. Yet, they're still running the entire show here. They're still in charge because they have... Infected the rest of the population with their worldview. That's the whole thing we think largely like the psychopath to a certain extent their worldview is still infecting our psyche and so many people have become secondarily psychopathic meaning through conditions and through uh, the acceptance of a particular worldview. They are taking on the characteristic traits of a primary psychopath, even though they are not, and they were not born that way. Okay, they're behaving that way because of fundamentally flawed axioms and belief systems that they have taken into themselves and are and are fundamentally attached to. And letting go of those false fundamental axioms, letting go of those uh, dogmatic belief systems, and Engaging in new, different information that is has the possibility to transform and elevate consciousness, It by doing that, it is possible to get one's psyche out of that state, that diseased state, that pathological condition. That's why it's called psychopathy, pathological, based in an illness, okay?, now, other things are required in the physical domain as well. You know, we need to clean up the body. The body has a lot to do with how we think. We don't often associate that, but the mind and body are intricately and inextricably interconnected. So, cleaning up one's diet is a huge part of how we think. So, that has to go hand in hand with disconnecting from the poison information, getting onto a, a positive and uh, uh, Truthful information stream. Eating better. You know. Disconnecting from other poisonous influences around us. Meaning the other people with poisonous worldview infections. That constantly feed us negative information. About the worth of humanity. And about you know. uh, Who we truly are as a people. So. Let's go back to some of the characteristics and wrap this up because I want to transition this into the defense against the psychopath and then start to go to the phones. Psychopaths, okay, the, the, again, the ability to feign normal human emotions, that's very critical. And again, the question then becomes how do we identify them? Again, we need to know them by their actions and then we can speculate about possible other techniques to identify these people. They have a severely distorted sense of the consequences of their own actions. See, they don't understand that the universe is going to bring things to balance. By one means or another, it's going to bring it to balance. No matter how catastrophic that may need to be, depending on how out of balance things have become, guaranteed the universe is going to balance the equation. And these people don't want to understand or accept that aspect of natural law they refuse see they only want their own desires fulfilled and forget about what creation wants you know forget about the will of creation you know the true evolutionary progress that is happening throughout creation true evolution in consciousness that's meaningless to these people they're trying to stop that from taking place Because they want to rule the roost. They want to maintain their positions of dominance and power, illusory power over other people, because they're being given that power by other people who are externalizing their power in an illusory sense and through this nonsensical, illusory belief in authority, which doesn't actually exist in man. So, this severely distorted sense of the consequences of their own behavior. They have total failure to accept any personal responsibility for their own actions. Forget acceptance of responsibility. They always want to deflect. Blame somebody else. It wasn't my fault. I refuse to take responsibility for what they clearly have done. And you know, this is part of the human condition on a wider sense. We don't want to take responsibility as a people for what we have allowed the psychopaths to do and what, for what we continue to do because they're ordering us to do it see this refusal of responsibility to accept personal responsibility th- this goes our refusal as largely as a people is a reflection of the psychopaths refusal to accept personal responsibility because they don't want to accept responsibility Okay. They try to pass the buck down to the next person. In other words, if they could get away with it, they would prefer not to actually do the behavior, but to tell someone else to do the behavior. That's how they think they're going to shield themselves or insulate themselves from the repercussions of natural law. They're going to get somebody else to do their dirty work for them. And then most of us will do that. We'll just do it for a paycheck or do it to make our lives easier in some form or fashion. Okay. Because most of us don't have a developed sense of conscience. We won't say no. And this is the whole problem. We continue to uphold the psychopaths. They're a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction. And yet they're ruling billions of people. Because we can't continue to do their bidding. And they have the hordes of secondary psychopaths in the police, the military, the government... Educational institutions, medical institutions, pharmaceuticals, etc. You name any institution in the world, banking, okay? The secondary psychopaths largely are running these institutions. Just put your head down, do what you're told, do your job, and you'll get your reward for doing it. It doesn't matter who you have to hurt, okay? We'll try to shield you from seeing the, the suffering that you're causing, okay? They're really good at continuing to do that you know uh, and most people will just go ahead and do that and in doing that they're numbing out their emotions and they're ultimately t- turning so very slowly it's a stepwise progress a progression over time turning into a secondary psychopath who is act, are acting as the hordes that do the bidding of the primary psychopath masters that are ruling at the highest levels of the institutions And this is what we need to understand, that the only way to stop the progression of this tyranny in our world is to stop behaving like the psychopath. Meaning, if you know that something is wrong, and you know it's ultimately violating the rights of someone else, you have to pull your actions back from that through the process of apophysis, saying no, the lost word, the most powerful word in the universe Say no to that which you know is not a right, to that which you know is causing harm to someone else. And if, that, if more people did that, the psychopaths could never possibly have their way. They could never create the world that they want to create because no one would help them do it. Unfortunately, too many people are willing to help these psychopaths create the world in the image that they want to create it in. Because since they've worked their way up to the positions of power already and infiltrated those positions, you know, uh, these institutions shouldn't even exist to have these positions of power. That's the entire problem. We believe that there is such a thing as power invested in, in- institutions that is going to tell people how they should behave and act. That's the entire problem. That's a collectivist worldview. And the whole problem is psychopaths invariably unwaveringly will worm their way into those institutionalized positions of power. Take them over, and then once they're entrenched, it's very difficult to get them out. They run those institutions generationally, passing down their influence to the next breed of psychopaths. And This is another reason that a lot of psychopaths, especially in royalty, are huge into inbreeding. Because they want to keep the characteristic traits of primary psychopathy, which is contained in g- the genetic information to a large extent, in the family. So that their bloodlines can continue to stay in those same institutionalized positions of influence and power. It, all, it may only make sense. I mean, if you just sit and think about it, it makes perfect sense. So, to finish up the uh, uh, characteristics of the psychopath. The final uh, characteristic is that they believe that they'll never be brought to justice. They think they can do what they're doing indefinitely and never be held to account. And I said last week in a very strong, forceful, and no uncertain term way, they are incorrect about that. I know that they're incorrect about that. Because in one way or another, whether it happens in the physical domain or not, they are going to be held to account. And so is everyone who is helping them. Just let me repeat that one more time. Regardless of where or when it is going to take place, they are, the psychopaths of this world are, going to be held to account for their behavior. So is everyone who is helping them. And you could not believe that if you want, but your disbelief will never make that statement untrue. That is how the universe functions to bring balance to creation. Now, as to how or when, I can't necessarily say. But guaranteed. It will happen. The the universe will. Will that into existence. At some point in time. Now I think the way that they should be brought to balance. Is through our actions. To counter and defend ourselves against the psychopath. I don't think we should leave it to. The spiritual justice of the universe, quite frankly. I think that's a cop-out for our experience in the physical domain. So I believe we have the right to bring these people to justice ourselves. I ultimately believe that's how the universe would prefer to bring these psychopaths to justice. Through people who are acting within right behavior. See, if that doesn't happen... That means ultimately there wasn't enough, there wasn't a quantum number of people who were willing to get involved and make that justice occur. So the universe is going to do it for us in a very unpleasant way. And in a way that is going to not only bring them to justice, but it's going to ultimately bring all the other people to justice for not Acting on behalf of the universe and holding them to account in the first place. And this is where humanity is almost at that point. And people will say, oh, that's alarmist. You're inspiring fear and saying something bad's going to happen if people don't act. Well, it's the truth. You think that we can just let these psychopaths do immoral behaviors forever and there's nothing that's going to result to us? Nothing bad is going to happen. This is part of what tyranny is ultimately all about. Because we're not because, the causal factor, that we are not bringing them to justice, that we are not standing up for our inherent human rights. The the, the world is slipping further and further into global totalitarian tyranny. That's one of the ways that we're, we're being punished By the entire uh, construct of natural law because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing in getting these people out of these positions of power. Stop externalizing our power to these so-called leadership uh, institutions and start actually being our own leaders and live for what we know is right. Not enough people are willing to do that. Not enough people are actually engaging in that behavior. So at some point, the universe is going to step in and say, enough is enough. There's been a stagnation here. No progress is possible. And therefore, cleansing is going to be required. You know, like when weeds choke a garden, ultimately they're going to have to be uprooted. And if we become like those weeds choking the garden, which is evolutionary progression in in consciousness, which is what the purpose of the garden is for. If we become those allegorical weeds, then we're going to have to be uprooted at some point when no further growth is possible. And the universe will be all too happy to provide that service for us. Do we want that to occur that way? I think it's a very bad choice personally. But ultimately that's what's going to happen. So the next part I want to get in, into this is understanding that we already inherently have the right to defend ourselves against psychopaths. About people that don't care about right or wrong. That don't care about conscience. That don't, aren't acting within conscience. That are just doing what they want to do to get what they want. And this is the whole, let let me just be very clear about this. This is the whole dynamic, the whole um, um, personality characteristic or the rationalization of I'm just doing my job. Okay, That whole thing that people trot out as a justification, ultimately it means, here's what you're saying. I, I want people to be very laser focused on what I'm saying here. When someone is saying, I'm just doing my job, and the action that they're taking is actually hurting someone else or usurping their rights through some form of coercion that they had no right to initiate, all right, when that's happening and someone is saying, I'm just doing my job, what they are basically saying is, my collection of money or resources or, um, Acquiring a position that I might want usurps someone else's free will to engage in their rights or to not be harmed, not have initiatory um, force carried out against them when there was no right to do so. Okay, They're basically saying, I don't care about that person being harmed. That is the definition of not having conscience, of not exercising conscience. You could even make the argument whether the person has the knowledge of right or wrong, which is what conscience is, knowledge, con-science, to get to know together. Science, the root of it being scio-sciere, the verb in Latin, sciere, which means to know, and the prefix con being put in front of it, which means together or with. So to know together. To know with everyone else, common sense of right and wrong. That's what conscience is, common knowledge, common sense knowledge. Whether they pos- actually possess that or not, they're not exercising it. They're not acting, willfully acting within harmony with conscience, with that knowledge. So therefore, they are abandoning conscience by saying, I'm going to do what my job says I need to do to collect my paycheck or to maintain that position regardless of who it's harming by definition that is a psychopathic characteristic you are taking on at least one of the characteristics of psychopathy well it's rationalization of your own immoral behavior Okay? It's attempt to lay blame upon someone else for your own conduct. You're saying the people who gave me these orders are ultimately responsible. You're denying your own wrongdoing outright. Okay, You're willing to violate the inherent human rights of other people. You're willing to engage in criminal conduct to get your way. And, and it's all to just, again, have your needs satisfied or met. At the expense of someone else's rights. And I would suggest a large portion or if not the majority of people who are in institutions where they're saying I'm just doing my job and are ultimately violating the rights of other people have become secondarily psychopathic at the very least. And what our job is people who understand the non aggression principle, who know that if someone else is not violating someone else's rights, you do not have any right to initiate force against them. That's what the non aggression principle is. It's all about statements in the negative. If someone else is not usurping someone else's rights or using violence, okay, then you do not have a right to initiate force against them. It's all apophatic. It's stated in the negative. You have to understand what you don't have a right to do. People think that rights that do not exist actually exist for certain groups of people. They think that rights that no one on earth has, a bunch of people can come together, create that right, and then grant it to another person or group of people and that cannot be done there's no such thing as the delegation of a wrong this needs to be deeply understood by people you cannot delegate something that you have no right to do to someone else or to any number of people doesn't matter how many people believe erroneously believe you can do that it still can cannot be done in nature You could do it in an erroneous construct that exists only within the diseased human psyche, but you cannot do it in actual point-of-fact reality, meaning in nature, it cannot be accomplished. Nature is not going to recognize creation, is not going to recognize that as being real. It's your illusion that you've given substance to by believing that you can do it, and then acting within that illusory capacity. But it's not real in nature. It's an illusion in a diseased mind that you can delegate a wrong. Wrongs cannot be delegated to anyone because no one has the right to do them. By definition, they are in opposition to right, they are in opposition to morality and natural law, then they cannot be engaged in by any justification or rationalization. See, this the only way people believe. That they can engage in a wrong or delegate a wrong to someone else. Is if they accept the fundamentally flawed axiom called moral relativism. Moral relativism must be accepted somewhere in the person's psyche. In order for them to believe that a wrong can be delegated. Because if you understand the absolute objective nature of right and wrong you understand it is impossible if someone does not have a right meaning if the the behavior is a wrong because it causes harm to others then and no one on earth has it as an individual that action can never be delegated to a group of people any other individual or group it's an impossibility to do in point of fact reality yet Humanity does it every day in every corner of the world, giving rights to police and military that the public, that they'll say that the public doesn't have. We need to understand we already possess the right to defend ourselves. We don't need any institutions to exercise inherent rights to self-defense against people that would cause us harm. Who don't care. And the institutions who are ostensibly doing that defense, which they're not really doing. They're serving the desires of the psychopath. If you are honest with yourself, that's what they're doing. They're the army for the psychopaths. The people who we say, who we claim are actually you know the, the defend, defenders of the people. They're nothing of the kind. They're the army for the psychopath to defend the psychopaths against the people. Against the bulk of humanity. They don't have the rights to do what they're doing. And rationalization and justification to say I'm only doing my job by usurping your rights doesn't hold any water. And it shouldn't be accepted by anyone. So. Moving to image number four, we need to re-examine something that we talked about in the section that we talked about on natural law, and that is the dichotomy. The total polarization. These are diametric opposites. People use these terms synonymously, and they are not synonyms. They are antonyms. They are exact diametric opposites. They are the antitheses of each other force and violence have nothing to do with each other people really need to deeply understand this from a natural law perspective violence has nothing to do with the proper use of force you could look at it in terms of use versus abuse use, use Versus abuse. You have a right to use force. You have no right ever to engage in violence. What is the determining factor or characteristic between these two types of action? The determining characteristic is the initiation. Who started it? A big part of brainwashing, particularly in American culture, but I would probably suggest that this is this brainwashing goes on all over the world, is that it matters who starts violence. That, I'm sorry that it doesn't matter who starts violence. The, the the brainwashing is that it it doesn't matter who starts violence. What I'm telling people is. All that matters is who starts it. That's what defines it as violence. When someone is breaking the non-aggression principle, it means that they have initiated or started to use force that they had no right to initiate or use. And they're using it in a coercive capacity. They're not using it in a capacity which force is morally intended to be used in if there was no moral use of force we wouldn't have the capacity to engage in in the universe of course there are moral uses of force there is no such thing as a moral use of violence and see I want to give a couple of examples here I want to look at this dynamic what is force versus what is violence how are they diametrically opposed what are their characteristics I want to give a couple of examples and very clearly delineate which behaviors in the examples would be violent and which behaviors would simply be forceful. Which behavior, if it is violent, means it is a wrong and the person had no right to engage in that behavior versus what actions were simply the proper use of force and the person had every right to engage in that behavior. Okay? And then I want to read the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. And again, I'm not a constitutionalist. I've made no bones about it that I don't believe in authority. I don't believe in government. These are illusory constructs that exist in a diseased psyche. I am an anarchist. I understand that there are no masters. There are no rulers. There is only claims of authority and then the acceptance of those claims by dumb people. We'll get into this on the other side of the station break. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Okay, everyone, we're back. I want to hammer in a couple more concepts here because I I want to get to the phones. I I didn't leave enough time to go to the phones last week. I apologize for that again. I want to leave plenty of time to get to the phones today. So um, let's start delving back into the the, uh, material by taking a look at the difference, the diametric opposition between force and violence. And again, before the break, I was saying There is no such thing as authority. There is only the claim of it, the claim that you could do violence to someone else and be right in doing it, okay? The claim that you could be a master of someone and they have some moral obligation to obey your commands, okay? You can only make that claim and then that claim can be accepted by other people, but it will never make it true in reality because it's not true. There is no such thing as masters over others. There is only people who are making the claim that they are an authority. And then there's other people who don't know enough about themselves and the workings of nature who are willing to accept that claim in their ignorance. And I just simply referred to them before the break very harshly as dumb people because that's what they are. They're just dumb If you think there's any such thing as authority in man, you are dumb. You are not holistically intelligent. And you do not know the truth. Because the truth is there is no such thing as authority anywhere in the three-dimensional space-time continuum in physical form. The only authority is the boundary conditions of the universe, which is natural law. That's what the authority is. And I don't mean the, the... fake Darwinian natural order that people think of as whoever the, the, uh, has the, the most viciousness and the, the biggest teeth and the sharpest teeth and claws wins. That's not what I mean by natural law. Again, I, I feel I need to keep emphasizing that because of how hijacked the word natural is. We're talking about the spiritual laws that govern behavior in the universe Cosmic spiritual law. Another word we need to start really taking back and understanding more deeply, just like natural, what natural really means, instead of this Darwinian notion, this twisted worldview based in moral relativism and social Darwinism, we really need to take back the word anarchy. Okay, because believing that, I'm sorry, knowing. That there is no such thing as authority, knowing that there is no such thing as masters over others, knowing that there is no such thing as rulership over other people needs to be called what it is. The term voluntarist, I don't like. It's a euphemism. It waters down what we're really talking about. We need to take back the word anarchy and help people to understand what it means, not only in its etymology, but in its actual real definition, not the mind controlled, connotative, um, illusory meaning that people have ascribed to it and accepted that it means. Anarchy comes, the word anarchy comes from two Greek roots. The first is, A or an in Greek is the negation of or the absence of, meaning not present, absent, or just simply not, not being. Okay? That's a or an, the prefix a or an in Greek. So apathy, no feeling present. All right? Anarchy Comes from a an not not present okay not there absent and then the second part comes from the Greek word archon. Archon in Greek means ruler or master. Okay, someone who is a ruler over someone else, or in other words, the owner of slaves. An owner of other people. A master of slaves. So when you put them together, you have the negation of masters over others. The absence of ownership of other people. The absence of rulers who own other people. However you want to put those words, those concepts together. That's what anarchy is. It means that there are no masters and slaves. Well, if you believe that there are masters and slaves, then you're not an anarchist. If you do not believe that there are masters and slaves, then by definition you are an anarchist whether you know it or not. If you advocate for any amount of the right, the so-called right to coerce other people, to coerce their will, to usurp their free will, and make them do what you want them to do, even if what they want to do is a right, then you are not an anarchist. You are an archonist, one who believes in masters over others, one who believes that Certain people are masters with authority inherent in them, and other people, by definition, are slaves who have the somehow have the moral obligation to obey the whims of the master. And there's no other there's no other grades of that. People think oh there's there's variants and gradations of that in between. You're painting it as black and white, and there's all shades of gray in between. Wrong, absolutely incorrect. There is no gradations. There are no shades of gray. There are either masters and slaves or there is not. Get that through your head. Any amount, any amount of the advocation of the aggression principle. And I want to wrap the word principle in quotes because aggressing against others is no principle at all. It is not based in truth and it causes harm. The aggression ideology, let's call it, forget aggression principle. There is the non-aggression principle, and then there is the aggression ideology that is based in violence, meaning the violation of someone else's rights. That's why it's called violence, violate. It comes from the word violate. Violate. To go, to intrude upon, to go somewhere where you do not belong. You are thieving the the inherent rights and security of others by engaging in violation, violence of their rights. So we need to take back the word anarchy and help people to understand. It just means no masters and slaves. To say that you're an anarchist means you understand that you are not a slave. That's what being a true anarchist means. Not this twisted connotation that people have that you play a word association game with them and they think it means chaos. That's what the dominators, what the masters who want to maintain their slaves mindset So that they'll continue to lay down to their commands and be their willing slaves want people to think the word anarchy means when it has absolutely nothing to do with chaos. As a matter of fact chaos can only breed in archonistic conditions meaning where there are masters then you have a condition of chaos. When there are masters and slaves you have chaos. When there is freedom you have order. Only when there is true freedom, meaning the absence of masters, a master-slave relationship. No masters, no rulers, that's what anarchy means and nothing else. So, let's take a look at one's inherent right of the use of force versus something that is never a right, which is violence. Force is, by definition, the capacity to do work or cause physical change. Okay, It is energy, strength, or active power. Power that is being applied. We have the capacity to do work and then we're applying it in the world through an act of force. We engage in force every single day of our lives. If you build something, if you clean something, if you... Uh, Go from one place to another. All of these are work is required. Energy is required. Active power is required. You are engaged in force to do any of those behaviors. Once you use the ability or capacity to cause physical change in an immoral way, meaning that you're using initiation of coercion. You have crossed the line from the application of force into the use of violence. Violence is the immoral usage of physical power to coerce, compel, or restrain when you had absolutely no right to engage in that behavior. That's what makes it violence. What makes it violence is that you initiated it. You were not being harmed or attacked, and then you initiated coercive force. That's the definition of what makes it violent. Force is action which exists in harmony with morality, in harmony with natural law, for the very reason that it does not violate anyone else's inherent rights. Violence, on the other hand, is initiatory action. Meaning you started it. It's coer- initiatory coercive action. You started it and it is it, the action coerces someone else's free will when they were harming no one. This is always in opposition to morality and always in opposition to the laws of nature. Because for the very reason that. It involves the violation of someone else's inherent rights. Force is action that we always possess a right to take under natural law. It is in harmony with natural law. Therefore, we may take that action. And this includes the inherent right to defend oneself. Meaning if violence is being done, if initiatory coercive usage of force was initiated against you that means violence was done unto you then you inherently already possess every individual already inherently possesses without going to another human being you already have the right to defend yourself against that incursion of violence by applying whatever amount of physical force Energy, strength, or active power is required to stop or negate that act of violence. And I don't know how much clearer I could be. I think that's about as clear of a definition of what force versus violence is. When you're engaged in violence, you never are in the right. There is no such thing as the right to conduct violence. Because that means you are initiating, you are starting it. But you always have a right to use defensive force when you're being attacked by violence. And, you know, I think we've been under violence and the threat of violence for a long, long, long time. Not only in this country, but throughout the world. Taxes are threats of violence. Pay us what we tell you you have to pay us or we're going to either take your property or put you in a cage. It doesn't make a difference why someone is demanding that. You can't demand that someone act and say you're not acting is a right you don't have. Yes, you are allowed to sit there and do absolutely no action. You don't have to take action. Now, I would say if you're seeing violence being conducted and not taking action, then we're getting into a very hairy moral territory because you're witnessing it and you have the capacity to to do something to change it. And you're sitting back and saying, let the violence continue. Let that person's rights be completely usurped and just allow it to continue. Now, all kinds of... um, Rationalizations are used for why what's being done with that money is is going to be a good thing. This is how people rationalize the violence of tax collection away. This is an example of violence. Okay? It doesn't matter how you rationalize it. You're saying you have no right to refuse. That's coercion. And if you do refuse and try to keep what you have earned, then you're threatening the person with retaliatory force for simply engaging in a right, which is to keep that which you have produced. This is not a right. Taxation is not a right. People think that it can be granted to a government or a group of people and that right can be delegated. Well, there is no such thing as the right to collect taxes because it's based in violence and therefore it's not a right. It's a wrong. Therefore, it cannot be delegated to any Other human being or any group of human beings no, nothing that someone individually may not engage in can be delegated to another. I don't know how much more clear I can make that hopefully this is being understood and and really sinking in to people if it didn't in the natural law section but. If you don't have a right as an individual to do something to another person, to coerce them and say, you have to give me this much of what you have produced or earned, then no one can do that because no one has that right, so no one can give it to someone else. Rights already exist inherently. No new rights can be created. Rights cannot be changed. They're inherent forces in the universe. That's it. They're part of natural law, which are existing conditions that are binding and immutable. That's what rights are. And rights are actually based in what is a wrong. They're they're based in the apophysis. Wrongdoing needs to be understood. So we can understand what a right is not first and foremost. Once you understand violence, which is wrongdoing, which is coercive action, the coercive use of force, which one had no right to take. Then you can understand anything that falls into that category is a wrong, is violent behavior, and is part of the aggression ideology. Everything that falls outside of that ideology is a right because it's part of the non-aggression principle. Do not initiate or start coercive force against anyone else so long as you are not being harmed. If you're being harmed actively by an act of violence, you have every right to respond with any amount of defensive force required to put down that attack and this is what the founders understood of this country and at, in, in in many ways they didn't understand fully enough the non-aggression principle because they still put things into the constitution like taxes you know they weren't perfect they weren't fully enlightened they were still in partial darkness they were very enlightened in comparison to where people are at today but in comparison, that doesn't mean they were truly enlightened, fully enlightened all the way. This is why I end the show with the whole uh, quote from Buddha many times. That there are only two mistakes that one can make on the path to the truth. Not starting and not going all the way. Well, the founders had a good start. The foundations of America were a good start into a deeper understanding of natural law. And they enshrined those principles in the Declaration of Independence and partially enshrined them in the Constitution. Definitely took a step down from that, you know, one document to the next, because there are things that are in opposition to natural law in the Constitution. But, and and I believe even in the Declaration of Independence, the creation of government at all, you know. But The declaration I see is a higher consciousness document than even the constitution but at least they were partially enlightened and they were attempting to get people to go further along that path certainly coming out of the tyrannical states that government had existed in previous to the foundations of America. So it was a stepping stone and we should have ratcheted up further and further instead we've gone slipped back down into tyranny because we didn't listen to the founders advice. So please, no one should think I'm a constitutionalist as a result of reading something that I happen to resonate with from the U.S. Constitution. I'm an anarchist. It should be, I I fully embrace that term. I'm okay with that terminology. I understand what it means. I clarify to people what it means. I embrace the non-aggression principle. I live it in my life. I don't believe that there is any such thing as masters or slaves. That's why I'm an anarchist. I live according to natural law and that's it, meaning moral law. Doesn't matter what is legal, it matters what is moral. Legality is the whims of flawed men and women. Moral law comes from creation or God, if you like. People want to get offended about that term, go right ahead. I'm comfortable with it. I know that rights come from God, period. Okay, They don't come from man. Man does not get get to make up what is right or what is wrong. This is where man is sick because he believes he can do those things when he absolutely cannot. So the founders tried to enshrine the inherent right for defensive force into the Constitution. And let let me be, I want to be very, very clear about this too. It is the only thing in the Constitution that they said, and they were very frugal in their words, and they did not put extraneous concepts into the Constitution that they did not need to articulate upon. They put these words into the Constitution and said that it was the only thing that, was, that they deemed necessary for the preservation of freedom. Uh, let me say that one more time. The founders only deemed In the Constitution of the United States, one thing or concept necessary for the preservation of freedom. They only deemed one thing necessary for the preservation of freedom. Okay? Think about how important that very concept right there is. Now, the word necessary in the Constitution was used exactly six times. But in the context of something being necessary within the the structure of America, it it is only used in that capacity or that context, that connotation, one time. And that is in the Second Amendment, in the Bill of Rights to the Constitution. Now, I want to read the text of the Second Amendment as it was adopted. By the Congress and put into the Constitution in the Bill of Rights and I want people to understand that in this older style of writing this part of the Bill of Rights which and all parts of the Bill of Rights are all parts of the Constitution actually are only intended to ever be restraints upon government people need to understand that about the Constitution it is not a listing of rights for the people. It is not a restraint of anything for the people. It is entirely a set of things that the people were going to allow the entity that they were creating called the US government, United States government to do. And a much bigger set of restraints upon what the government could never do in anybody's life. So it is written very much so in the apophatic sense. The Bill of Rights is all about what the government may never do because these are actions which ultimately take away, if done, would take away freedom from people. The First Amendment being the right to free speech, free religion, and free assembly and free press. So The Second Amendment is about the right to inherently defend oneself against the incursions of violence. And here's what it says. And if we understand that this form of language is not really spoken today, we need to understand how it would be written if it were written today. Then it becomes very much less ambiguous as to what the intent and meaning of the Second Amendment was. And I'm deliberately bringing all this for, see, folks, you have to understand there's a method to my madness, so to speak. I'm putting these things together, okay? Psychopathy, a deep understanding of it and the characteristics, Ver, uh, You know, force versus violence, and an understanding of what the foundations of this country attempted to enshrine about the inherent right of defense. And there's a reason I'm doing it now. With all the things that are going on regarding false flag events, uh, mass shootings, and then the justifications to try to take the ability of people to defend themselves, thus leaving them completely defenseless against tyrannical government. This needs to be understood now, not at some future point. We should already be at a level of understanding that someone like myself is at. And unfortunately, most people are not at that level of understanding. Here's how they drafted the Second Amendment into the Constitution. This is the exact text. A well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. Now, I personally think it's very clear right there. And there's no ambiguity about it whatsoever. But because it is written in this older form of English, as far as sentence structure is concerned, the connotation is not as clear as it could be in modern English. So I've suggested that if we wrote this today... Not saying we need to rewrite it. I think it stands on its own as it is. But if we were to attempt to get a better understanding of what was actually meant by the people who wrote this, we could very simply rearrange a couple of words. And I'm going to add a word and I'm going to change a form of a verb. And that's it. I'm going to add one word and I'm going to change. The form of one of the verbs, the verb to be, in the, in the um, second phrase within the sentence, being necessary. I'm going to say is necessary. I'm changing the form of the verb to be from being to is. That's it. Okay, here's how we might write it in modern colloquial English. How we would speak today. Since a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, the meaning is perfectly clear and unambiguous. Now, what did they mean by these terms? Since a well-regulated militia, capital M, militia, that's, that's some grouping of people, isn't it? What is that entity? What is the militia? And they're saying it is necessary to the security of a free state of being. This, this capital S state doesn't just mean the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Rhode Island, the state of New York, the state of Delaware. That's not what we're talking about. The capital S state Just like the capital M militia and capital A arms means the totality of something. Militia is not small M militia. One specific grouping of people in a specific isolated place. The word militia has a specific connotative meaning to it that is defined right in the sentence. Later in the sentence of who that group of people is. The word state is capitalized, meaning state of being, a state of life. So they're telling you that this well-regulated militia, capital M, is necessary to the preservation, the security of, the continuance of a free condition, a free state of existence. Meaning, if you don't maintain this inherent right, if you don't maintain this readiness to engage force, if it is required, you will not maintain the state of freedom that we fought to put in place, to secure the right of the people to keep and bear, meaning possess and brandish. To possess and carry arms, that doesn't just mean projectile weapons, that means any defensive weapon, capital A arms, anything that can be used to defend oneself shall not be infringed under no circumstances, period, 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 at the end of the word infringed, nothing after it, full stop, end of sentence. Shall not be infringed. Not shall not be infringed if people abuse this inherent right and then start using violence with arms. No. Shall not be infringed, period. That's it. It's absolute. And this is what people don't grasp, especially fearful little children. Fearful little punks who think they somehow have the right to disarm people from defending their physical body when someone is coming at them with violence. Imagine there are people in the world that actually believe that bullshit. Okay? And let's just call it what it is out in the open. That's what it is. These are fearful little punk children. Who is the militia that is being talked about in the Second Amendment. It's not a particular group of people. It is the people. It is defined in the sentence. Since a well-regulated militia is necessary to securing freedom, to keeping us free, the right of the people To keep and bear arms shall not be infringed because the people are the militia, able-bodied citizens who can pick up a arm, a form of arms, a weapon, regardless of what it is, arms, capital A, and have a right to defend themselves with arms against the incursions of violence. You shall not infringe upon that right. The end. It is so cut and dried. It is so obvious. It is so unambiguous that you have to be a total ass to think that it is in some way ambiguous or to try to interpret it in a different way. Get as offended about that as you like. Say I'm harsh. I'm unyielding. I'm unapologetic. And you're absolutely damn right. So. I'm going to open up the phone lines now after having gone through that analysis of the Second Amendment to the Bill of Rights in the United States that was put forward for very specific reasons by people who were far more intelligent than the bulk of humanity is today and understood what was required to keep freedom. And defend it from tyranny. And the question is going to be, ladies and gentlemen, whoever wants to call in, the call-in number is 866-841-1065, toll-free, 866-841-1065. The question is, were the actions of the people who waged the Revolutionary War in this country against the British and their mercenaries... Conducting acts of love or acts of hate? And why do you think so either way? That is the question for the rest of the show today. So let's go to the phone lines and that is what we're doing. If you're on on the phone, that's the question I'm taking here. The other topics right now are set to the back burner. We are talking about the question of... I, I would say... If someone wants to comment on psychopathy, that's connected with this topic, so I'll I'll take calls on that as well. But what I want each caller to do, if they are willing, is to say whether they think the actions of those who waged the revolutionary war in the United States against the British and their mercenaries were engaging in acts of love or acts of hate and why they think so. So let's go to the phones. Here we go. Emily from Pittsburgh, you are live on What on Earth is Happening? Welcome and what do you have for us?
2: Hi. Um, um, I was actually just listening. Okay, no problem. Uh, but I am enjoy- <clears throat> I am enjoying the show. I think it's I think it's an interesting topic. Great. Um just to kind of like answer
1: if you would that like question. to chime in on that while I have you on the line, you are welcome. But if you're simply listening, don't feel compelled that you have to do so. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but uh, if you want to go ahead and uh, chime in on that question, you're more than welcome to do so.
2: Okay. Um, I mean, I would think it was like an act of love simply because, um, I mean, it's like you're fighting for your freedom. You know what I mean? I, I so do. I think that it, Uh, I think that, you know, it would be classified as an act of love, not like an act of aggression.
1: Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, You uh, went toward the side that it was an act of love. I'm in full concurrence with that. I agree with you completely. But let's look at what they had to do. They actually had to kill other people. They had to pick up arms and and snuff out other people's lives in order Mm -hmm. to secure that freedom. Like... Would you consider that hateful acts? Well, I I'm just trying to play it. the devil's advocate here. I, yeah, you know, I could give you my answer to that and why I think it's one way or another. But you know, I'm just interested in what some of the callers think about this. So you know, it, well, the the British were coming over here to try to continue their reign over the people. They sent their mercenaries and their armies to. Collect whatever oppressive taxation to stop them from uh, using colonial script, uh, you know, uh, to to you know coerce and regulate the trade that they were engaged in, and ultimately mm-hmm. to basically tell them how they had to live here. And it started turning mm-hmm. into the these psychopathic British soldiers that were stationed here looked at it as well. This is an open field day, and you know. Since the king has our back and, you know, the king is God on earth, we're just going to start raping their women, taking whatever we have because we feel like it, you know, setting up our shop in their house, doing whatever we want, and they'll just sit and take it. They'll take it endlessly Mm -hmm. because, after all, the king is God, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of behavior that was started to be engaged in by these psychopathic lunatics called the British soldiers and their mercenaries. So um, I go back to the original question that I posed. You say it was an act of love. Many people uh, you know might have ambiguity about that because they'll say, well, they picked up weapons and actually fired weapons or, you know, uh thrust bayonets into other people. You know, fired uh, you know, um muskets and and, and bullets and and killed people. They actually snuffed out other human lives. How could you say that that was an act of love? So how How would you frame that you know to if your answer is that it is an act of love it is an act of love, it entailed some very brutal things that they felt needed mm-hmm. to be done. so comment on that
2: well, I think that like in that entire situation, you know I mean a lot of stuff was happening to lead up to you know that confrontation. It wasn't just kind of some type of you know flippant decision. Sure. You know, made overnight or anything like that. That's
1: right.
2: You know, you kept being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until you, you know, you have to decide um, it's me or them. You know what I mean? And I think that anybody can, you know, relate to like a situation where if, if you have been pushed that far and you have to make, you know, you know, tough decisions, it doesn't have to be like maybe violent decisions. But, you know, you can connect that to, you know, any type of difficult situation where you just cannot allow
1: something to continue anymore. Yes, what I'm trying to get at is their action can only be based in love if it was based in right. An action cannot be based in love if it is based in a wrong. So when I'm talking Mm -hmm. about that they were killing, were they killing within their right to take a life? Is there such thing as a right to kill or a right to take a life? I would suggest that there is there is Mm -hmm. never a right to murder no such thing doesn't exist murder is always wrong because murder is the initiation of killing someone when you had no right when no when there was no incursive act of initiatory aggression against you but if there is an initiatory act of aggression against your body or against your rights that is an act of violence. And you have an inherent right to respond to that violence with an act of force. So, in other words, the, fe- the, the people who waged the Revolutionary War were not engaged in violent behavior. The British mm-hmm. and their merc- mercenaries were engaged in the violence because they were initiating the force. Mm-hmm. The, the revolutionaries were responding to the force. They were responding to the violence, I'm sorry, with force. And that resulted in the taking of life because the aggressors would not discontinue their immoral behavior, which is an initiation of violence. They had no right. The British had no right to do what they were were doing. They were in the wrong. There is Mm -hmm. a right and a wrong. And all that matters is who started it. Did we start the attack? During the Revolutionary War, we did not. The British were here and refusing to leave people alone and exist in their right. We responded to that with force. Now, you could say, what is America doing today? America is waging wars of aggression, preemptive aggression against nations that did not attack us. They are Mm -hmm. not over here waging aggression. Okay. And yet we're waging aggression over there. The roles are reversed. We are the modern day British army and mercenaries waging war in other countries because ultimately you have to understand that that regime never fully went out of control. They infiltrated their way back in, and the British Empire still ultimately runs this country and the world along with other institutions, psychopathic and occult institutions. But, uh, Ultimately, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, if the act is based in love, it has to be based in right, which means it could not have been an act of violence. It was an act of defensive force. So mm-hmm. I think I thank you for your, uh, you know, your your take on that and your contribution to uh, answering that question. And i so, uh um, yeah, go ahead if you have something uh, else, go ahead.
2: I did want to, you know, add um, that I do kind of, you know, disagree with, like, just kind of going back earlier, like, in the show um, with, like, the idea that, um, you know, psychopathy, Mm -hmm. like, being a psychopath or whatever is, like, intrinsic to people. I don't think that it's, like, a genetic thing. I think that people just use that so flippantly and, and... and you know without really understanding genetics or
1: how that works but the vast you know, majority are- of people who suffer from psychopathy are not primary psychopaths we have to understand psychopathy is not one thing it is two things right that's true right there is primary psychopathy and secondary psychopathy what mm-hmm. you're referring to as not being a an inherent condition In a small, tiny portion that expresses that um, uh, genetic disorder is called Mm -hmm. secondary psychopathy. The vast majority of people who suffer from psychopathy, you are absolutely correct. It is not genetic in its origin. It is not an inherent condition, and it can be changed with enough work. Mm -hmm. But there is also another kind of psychopath among us, the primary psychopath. So this is where the distinction comes in. And what I would suggest is you need not only to look into human genetics and the human genome, but you really need to look into the difference between primary and secondary psychopathy. Mm -hmm. I would suggest that there is such a thing as primary psychopathy. But it is an infinitely small number in comparison to the whole of human the human population certainly much smaller much 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 yeah. smaller than the amount of the population that suffers from secondary psychopathy so that's what i would encourage you to do is to look into the difference between primary and secondary mm-hmm. psychopathy and to understand that there is a th- such a thing as a difference between those two forms of psychopathy but uh, as far as secondary psychopathy is concerned i'm in complete agreement with you it is curable mm-hmm. There is things that can be done to mitigate it or reverse it if enough will and effort is applied not only by the person who's suffering from it, but by the community of people around him. Primary psychopathy, oh. though, I cannot argue that. I, I, I cannot tell you that it is mm-hmm. in any way fixable, curable, not at least with the technology that we have now. I do not believe that it is.
2: Well, what, I, what um, I'm thinking is that I was actually thinking about like a study that was done that came out of sweden um... probably like twenty five years ago it's like not a very well-known study or anything like that Mm -hmm. um... but it did show something interesting in like um... like human connections to you know different animal populations or and they found that you know um... human babies when they're born they're like baby birds they imprint on you know the first thing that they you know see Mm -hmm. like so whenever they open their eyes after they're right after they're born that's what, you know, they they relate to. And I think that just because we live in such, um, you know, medicalized society, you know, just having like babies born in just this highly medicalized, like non-feeling, non-human type of situation, I think that that actually breeds that type of madness rather that than... That ki-
1: kind of trauma can initiate it right at the, the situation of birth. Right. Yeah, it's very right. possible, you know, and I, I say at birth, uh, you know, I don't mean it's a, you know, destroyed uh, soul, uh, you know, coming into incarnation from the very, in it's very inception, you know, mm-hmm. there are conditions, I talked about this briefly last week, that possibly created in the womb, and possibly it's birth possible. trauma, possible birth trauma, but again, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs by saying, well, it's It's conditions created at birth. Therefore, the person is like that from the time that they were born. Maybe, maybe, I'm open-minded to the possibility that maybe if we completely changed the environmental conditions that are actually giving uh, uh, form to the human being during the whole gestation period and birth, maybe we wouldn't have primary psychopathy. It's possible. It's possible. You know, I tend to look at it more that it is a genetic disorder that is inherent to mm-hmm. the human genome, and there's reasons I have for looking at it more along those lines, which I'll get into on future shows. But um, okay, but for, for for now, I will say I'm open to the possibility of that. What you're saying may be possible. That maybe it is also conditions prenatal in the womb or right at the time of birth. That's very possible I'm not close-minded to those possibilities I happen to think that the answer to primary psychopathy lies elsewhere but I'm not totally close to looking at that potentiality mm-hmm. as to why it exists or at least exists in the prevalence that it does so thanks for mm-hmm. those for those comments I'm going to um, okay thanks th- thanks so I'm much sorry? I'm, I'm good yes
2: oh, yeah yeah I was just saying um, thanks and you know I, I did enjoy the show
1: absolutely thank you for the call All right, I'm going to go to, and I'll I'll leave you on the line since you're listening by phone. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go to another caller now. Let's uh, move on to Ivan in Phoenix. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. You sound good. Coming in loud and clear.
0: Okay. Um, Well, I kind of already answered your question last week, and right in the middle of it, I guess you kind of changed my mind and woke me up that you're right, um, it is out of love, and the violence that comes of it, it's kind of, I would uh, compare it to, like, uh, if you're in your home with your family and some terrorist or somebody comes in with, like, a grenade, are you going to just stay in there and let it blow up and everybody get killed, or are you going to try and, like, force the guy out, you know, of your home and doing so, you get blown up with him. So it's sure. bloody and very disgusting and nobody wants to see it, That's but right. that was an act of love. Yeah, that was you're an act absolutely
1: of love. correct. See, it, it's all about defense. We're not talking about aggression. Aggression and defense are two different things. One implies that you are initiating the force. Therefore, it's violent behavior. That's what aggression is. Defense is retaliatory or responsive force that is used to counter violence. So, again, when people say you don't respond to violence with violence, you know, that's a wrong way of looking at it. You're never going to respond to violence with violence. If violence is initiated, the response is in force, not in violence. This is what people have to understand. And I'm not just suggesting, you know, a a total ideology of vengeance, you know, of, uh, you know, an eye for an eye necessarily. I'm saying if someone is coming at you in the moment, attacking you and aggressing against you with violence, you have every right to use whatever amount of defensive force is required to put down that act of aggression in the moment. And, you know. Right, I agree. The problem is people never look at. What's going on in the totality, in the aggregate of how our rights are being usurped and violated as as acts of violence that are current and ongoing. But indeed, that is what's going on. We are under violence and threat of violence daily, on a daily basis. Just the fact that something called a property tax exists is violence. That means you are existing in a constant level of the threat of violence. Because... If you don't pay your tribute to you, the master who is claiming ownership of your land and house, then they can come and physically buy with violence. They're saying we have a right to put you off of your ho- out of your home and make you homeless. And people don't even conceive that this is what all property taxes are. This is what all taxation is. Another example right, I gave, right. Ivan. Let me give you this example. Right. I, I tell people. I, okay. I ask people. Would you categorize the sport of boxing as violent? Would you describe boxing as a violent sport? Yes or no?
0: Hmm. Now you kind of have me trapped. I don't know whether to say yes or no. Uh, it it oh, involves no, no, violence. Uh, yes, uh, it, it, it involves violence
1: uh, because of the blood and all that. But uh, it's also athletic skills let me jump it let me jump in for one moment okay to, to try to cl- uh-huh. clarify I want you to just give your instinctive gut response like don't don't overthink it at first what would what would you ordinarily say to that question? Is boxing violent yes or no gut r- you know right away no okay why uh,
0: well, because I looked at it from maybe. I don't want to say artistic, but sporting because you have to think strategy, you know, whether it hit the body okay. to weaken it and stuff so like you, that. You that, appreciate from that
1: st- strategy involved and things like that, but that's not what makes it not violent. I want to know why it isn't violent. You're, and you're correct. Boxing is not a violent sport. And the people hear that and it sounds so strange when they hear it. But if you really understand the difference between force and violence, you'll understand that that's absolutely true. But why? That's
0: is- right. Now I get. Now I understand what you're saying because you're not violating anybody's right. There's no there violence involved because both, both of you are participating, um, uh, consensual. There See, I- is. I'm going to let you hit me. I'm going to let you hit me because you're going to let me hit you, and then there both of you is. go at it. It is a contest
1: okay. of strength or active power, or a contest of force that is engaged in consensually. And there is why it is not a violent sport. It is a forceful sport. It is a competition right. force. But in the definition, see, this is where, this is mind control, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to really pay attention to this. Mind control works through the obfuscation of the definitions of words. When people don't understand the meanings of the words that they are speaking, they could be made to think anything they could be manipulated to think anything. That's how mind control works. Through words. Are, are you saying,
0: Mark, that was a little bit mind controlled there?
1: <laughs> oh no, I'm saying you you passed the test. That in that respect, you're not under mind control. You get the di- the distinction and the dichotomy between force and violence. You said boxing wasn't a violent sport, and when you were pressed to give an answer as to why, that was your answer. You gave the correct answer. It's not violating someone's rights because the participants are engaging in the activity voluntarily. They're not being coerced to engage in it. No usurpation of free will is taking place. It is a consensual activity, which is a competition of force. You absolutely are spot on. Excellent. Okay. So, so but um, how many people? How many people, before, Ivan? Before. Would ha- Ivan? How many people would have responded that yes, it is violent? Because by definition, they do not truly understand the meaning of the word violent. They don't understand right, that right. The, that's what I was at of the beginning is of
0: a Because thinking of the blood and the and, uh, brain bouncing around and the trauma I could cause, hey, that's violent. No. <laughs> it, but, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I understood. You kind Now, now if I would have said, is it a
1: smart choice to participate in that activity for a paycheck? I would probably right, think no. it is not. <laughs> because i i you know no. i understand the art form involved i understand the the uh training and the uh, uh um the strategy involved in it and and you know i can have appreciation for those aspects of discipline that's involved in that but to actually engage in combat when combat is not necessary to me is you are you are not having enough respect for the greatest gift that you have which is that which exists Within the temple of man, right in the in the human head, right behind the forehead, which is the human brain, which distinguishes us and makes us completely different than any other animal in the animal kingdom, and I have too much respect for that wonderful piece of God-given uh, machinery uh, than uh, to to engage in uh, unnecessary displays of force uh, for for any reason. That, that that would be an abuse of your brain. You're abusing it. <laughs> It could be construed as self-abuse. Yeah, I I would go so far as to say that's probably the case. But uh, again, that's someone else's free will because it's their own body. So I can't tell them not to engage in that behavior. But I wouldn't think it's one of the smartest decisions to make. It's not one of the most intelligent decisions to make. Right. Touching on the uh,
0: psychopathy... Um, real quick, this is probably going to take you to the end of the show. I had quite a few different ideas, real quick, and observations. Right. Um, uh... Real quickly, let me put them out here real quick. Um, while you were talking last show and this show, and why the secondary uh, psychopaths exists, I think this is like a cyclical self-preservation kind of thing, and I say that because. Uh, Coming from the background that you come from, um, I've seen a few videos with um, Zena um, LeBay oh, yeah. and Nicholas Shrek. Oh, uh-huh. uh, well, well, there's, and a, there's a classic
1: know. example of the psychopath. I mean, exactly, Nicholas Shrek, Yeah. it doesn't get any more obvious that you're looking into the eyes of a psychopath. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Ivan, just let me briefly uh, uh, tell the people. If you want to look at, into the eyes of a psychopath directly, just type this name into Google. Or into uh, YouTube. Nicholas Shrek. Nicholas Shrek. I believe he spells his last name S C H R E K or S H R E K. Nicholas Shrek. He um, was uh, um, involved in the Church of Satan, and then he and uh, Zena LaVey, the daughter of Anton LaVey, uh, uh, decided that the Church of Satan was not even hardcore enough for them. And they got involved with Michael Aquino and the Temple of Set. Uh, there are uh, interviews, and you uh, it is absolutely enlightening to look, watch, and listen to these interviews, and listen to, watch Nicholas Shrek's eyes, watch his responses, <clears throat> his overall way that he carries himself, and what he thinks, what his ideology is, and this is what the globalist occultists, the psychopathic globalist occultists are all about. They have the same worldview and mindset. Ivan, thanks so much for bringing that up. If you call in next week, I'll bring you on and talk about that a little bit more. That's all the time we have for this week's this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, there are only two mistakes one can make on the path to truth, not starting and not going all the way. We'll see you right here on What on Earth is Happening next week. Until then, everyone, take care.